Did anybody ever tell you you have like a girly voice? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, your your mom told me I have a girly voice. <laughs> We're already in trouble because I got I got a very friendly email <laughs> from the folks at iTunes about about profanity on the show and the the lack of an explicit uh, uh, marker on it. What do you do? Our, what do you What do you do with uh, with the Let's Make Mistakes? Do you guys swear? Oh yeah, it's got to be explicit. Do you have There's it marked no, explicit? Yeah. There's no way that Jesse and I could not not swear. I, yeah, I don't know. It's like you know what I w- I wish that uh, I wish that it weren't were a different word than explicit. But maybe I should just get over that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Explicit sounds like I've got my pants down. <laughs> exactly. Right. I feel like so, explicit could be anything, and I just want like it. I'm, I would just like it to say swear words. Like I'm yanking one on the show. <laughs> right. Or 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 telling stories of such a nature, which is not the case. It's you know. So when I uh, when I wrote the when I wrote my book and. Uh, they sent over a contract and I sent it to Gabe, my lawyer. The first thing he did was he got the profanity clause removed because he knew I would never be able to, to, to do it. It's a funny thing. And I, we could go on a whole divergence about it, but I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what the total, I don't know what the total number of swear words I've run on during fireball over the years is, but it's, it's higher than most professional blogs sites in the genre but it's you know compared to like a lenny bruce album it's infinitesimal it's somewhere in between but i don't use them loosely like if i mean fucking crazy i i not using the word the f word in that case would it would change the meaning in a way well yeah there's it's a different level there's crazy and then there's fucking crazy and then there's like art school crazy above that right and every once in a while, I mean, like, uh, my dad doesn't like it. My dad is, you know, I think he's, oh, geez, how old is he? 77. He's like a sharp 77. He just called me today. He shot a one over par playing golf. Uh, but he's, you know, he's old school in that regard. I mean, like, my, you know, my dad was probably younger than Lenny Bruce, but my dad was of a, of the previous generation. Uh, you know, uh, uh, my dad's the guy who went through the '60s in his '30s, but kind of looked like the Mad Men guys, like still greasing their hair and wearing shirts and ties and stuff. So he's a good-looking man. I think he was. I think he is a good-looking man. Good-looking man. Yeah. Okay. By the way, is this all going to be in the show? Yeah. So I, I'm beginning to see why this show is three hours long. <laughs> I'll tell you what, my dad is a very good-looking man for 77. I'll tell you that. I, I, I would be lucky to be half as good-looking when I'm 77. Do you want to make it to 77? Yeah, I don't want to die. I'm, I, do you hear it, Philly? I, it's hard to tell whether the, the sirens are coming from your neighborhood or my neighborhood. It's 50-50. <laughs> it's Philly sirens. Okay. Uh, so uh, kind of a bittersweet show. Let's Why get is that, it out of the way. Why well, is that? This is going to be the last episode of the talk show on uh, Mule Radio. This- Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and this is how you tell me? Seriously? <laughs> I, felt, I felt like this would be a way to break it easy. What a dick move. Do you like that? Uh, that was pretty good. That was yeah. well played. All right. Um, 
No, the opposite. In fact, the truth is the opposite. Where, where this has been like three months in the work, and typical for me, it's it's taken a very long time to move a very short distance. Yes, I'm I'm kidding, of course. Right. Um, John John first told me about this. Now I'm speaking about you in the third person. Um, yeah, we talked about this months ago. You know what? I didn't even look this up, but let me let me look this up right now. Because if it's not the two year anniversary, it is extraordinarily close. Are you looking at email? No, I'm looking at the uh, the archives. So the, okay. the first episode okay. of this show on Mule was May 18th. So effectively two years. Um, you almost made it. Yeah, almost. So, um, so it's 80 episodes, you, two years. And I actually think do? they've been pretty consistent. Long story short, it's it's the show's gotten way too too big and popular, and so too, it's too big for us. Well, it's too big not to have it as part of Daring Fireball. It's become untenable, I think, branding wise. Um, I probably should have done this a year ago, but it, uh, again, I'm a very slow person, um, slow to move and slow to realize the obvious. Um, it's too big. It's it's you know revenue wise, uh, attention wise, time wise. Uh, it's it's effectively half of what I do, and it's it's just gotten to the point where it's kind of silly to treat it as its own discrete, separate branded entity. You're you're welcome, by the way. Yeah, well, I do. I owe you guys because when I came to you guys two years ago, I I really wasn't even sure that I would want to keep doing it. You know, I wanted to try, definitely wanted to try, but I had no idea. You know, you know, it was going to be a very different thing doing the show on my own than doing the old show with uh, Dan. Uh, and I had no idea. Would, you know, would it, is this the sort of thing where I, I feel like I'm going to do it for two months and then, wow, that's, that was nice. That was, you know, a nice little uh, uh, short trip, but I'm done. Or is this something that has staying power? And I had no idea how to do any of it. So I do. I, I mean it, and that's why I wanted you to be the the last guest on Mule. Is that uh, I, I thank you. You're well. That's uh, <clears throat> that's very nice of you to say. Uh, I appreciate you trying. Uh, I I appreciate you coming over to Mule Radio because I mean, in essence, that your show was what allowed Mule Radio to to get um, to get to where it is. Can we get to the can we get to the part of the show where we're cursing each other out cuz this feels weird and awkward. <laughs> I know. This is the this is the longest we've been nice to each other. <laughs> Except for like maybe that one time where we were out drinking beer with Jeff Veen who who is a, what is he about 8 feet tall? Oh yeah, you got to be nice around him. Well, you it's like you you just lose track like you pace yourself with the people you're drinking with. Well, Jeff Veen by the by the merits of his size, he he can drink gallons of beer. He can. I remember leaving a, a bar with you, like arms around each other. You know, I love you. That was awkward. Yeah, it was. Terrible. I don't. Also, I don't think that was me. No, it was you. It was some piece of crap bar around your neighborhood. Oh yeah, I remember that. That's not a piece. That's a good bar. Don't that's tell anybody bar. what it's called. Uh, well, it's good because I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't want anybody going there. It's my quiet bar. It was the nicest we ever were to each other. Doesn't that suck when people find out where your bar is. Uh, totally. Absolutely. Uh, kind of happened a, a couple of times, like in the WWDC type situations, like, uh, what was that place that had the bikes hanging? I always forget. Uh, oh, 
Oh God. Uh, that oh. I always forget the name. I know what you mean. And yeah. and that's the place that we always ended up in at like one thirty in the morning. Right. And um uh, and it was great at first because it was a big spacious place and I don't smoke. I've never smoked, but you were allowed to smoke in there long after the city or even, I don't know, maybe it's the state had banned it because the, the regulations were such that it would only, the smoking ban only applied to employees and the guy who owned the place was like the only employee. And so he was allowed to allow smoking and he did, but it was big enough that it, it didn't feel like a smoky place. Uh, yeah. The way it works is if, as if it's owner operated and you don't have any employees, you can set your own rules because you're not putting your employees at risk. Yeah. That's a weird law, don't you think? It especially, is a weird law. Especially for California, which is, you know, not 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 in a bad way, but it's, you know, it's a little bit regulation heavy. A little bit. I mean, it's not quite Massachusetts, but. Yeah, but, you know, I freak out now if I go somewhere and people are smoking inside. It's bizarre. You don't expect it. No, it's totally bizarre. And it smells. Uh, the way it worked, if and I could be misremembering this too, but I'm almost certain that the way it worked in Pennsylvania was some point in the 2000s, Philadelphia banned smoking. In you know, I, maybe it was a similar type thing, but effectively every place I went, every bar, every restaurant, it was just banned. But it wasn't statewide. And then we would go, you know, to see relatives or something outside the city and go out to eat and people would light up and it would be like, dude, what are you doing? And then it's like, oh, we're not in Philly. Very strange. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, you should tell people where, so your podcast is going to be on your site. So the podcast is going to be part of Daring Fireball. It'll just be daringfireball.net slash the talk show, starting with the next episode next week. I believe we're working this out. I think we can, we enough 301 redirects and it should work is nobody's going to need to resubscribe to the feed. We'll, we're going to do some jiggly, jiggly, pokely stuff behind the scenes. Nobody's going to need to re resubscribe. It should all just work and nobody will really notice. If anybody skips the first 10, 15 minutes of this episode that they may not even realize if they're a subscriber. And the best news is that you're going sponsor free. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a dick. Speaking of which, let me let me take a break here and thank our first sponsor, our good friends at uh Backblaze. You have the Backblaze yet, Mike? I I I had it, but then I went to my, to the doctor. <laughs> Backblaze is different than what you're thinking of. It's unlimited, unthrottled. $5 a month for everything backup for your Mac. They have over 100 petabytes of data backed up. I think a petabyte is 1000 gigabytes, but I, I think you know. I think you misspoke. Did you say $5 a month? $5 a month. No, yep. cuz that sounds like a $50 a month value, John. It's it it does. It sounds too good to be true, but it's not. They've been in business for a long time. It's totally sustainable. There's no uh chicanery behind the scenes in terms of their funding. Um, they have over 5 billion files that have been restored by their users. They have iOS apps <clears throat> for the iPad and iPhone that let you access uh, and share any of your files from anywhere. So once your whole Mac's backed up, you're out and about, you have your iPhone, you can use your iPhone to get to any of the files that have been backed up. 
I always mention this. This is my favorite talking point that it's founded by ex Apple engineers. Uh, and that's it. You just, it just runs silently on your Mac. You'd never know it's installed. It's good software that doesn't slow anything down. You'll never know it's there. It just works. Uh, they support Mavericks. They, have, they don't have any add-ons. There's no gimmicks. There's no additional charges. It's just $5 a month per computer, unlimited, unthrottled backup. You'll sleep so much better knowing that your computers are backed up. All your files are backed up off-site. So if anything happens, water damage, a fire, somebody breaks in, steals your computer, uh, you don't have to worry about it. I've been telling you for months, they're a longtime sponsor. I, I, I almost can't believe they're still with me because everybody ought to be signed up. There ought to be, however many thousand people listen to this show, every one of you ought to be using this service. It's great. Here's what you do. Go to backblaze.com slash daringfireball, and uh, they'll know you came from the show. First time they sponsored my show, I, 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 it's a tongue twister for me. I'm not, I'm not a very good speaker, um, and I called them Black Bays. Black Blaze ends up they have that domain. So if you go to blackblaze.com slash daring fireball, that'll work too. I'm gonna try that. Do you do that? Do you do you register I, typo domains? Um no. I'm bad about that crap. No. It just I used to it because it used to seem so much more important. Yeah. And, and that if somebody would go to a typo, uh, you know, it, but it it just seems like forget it. Everybody just goes to Google and types whatever they're looking for. Exactly. I've been I've been arguing this for years. I I don't understand why we're still designing sites with search boxes in them. Yeah. Um, Jason Fried talked about that, and they've since gone on and registered. Um, uh, not backpack. What's the uh, Basecamp? They have Basecamp.com now, but it wasn't until like this year when they got it. They were BasecampHQ.com right. and turned it into like a, you know, it's a 50-person business. And he was like, you know, and this was years ago, and he just said, forget it. People just turn in, you know, people just type Basecamp into Google, and we could we could have any domain, and they'd find us. Yep. Um, so podcasting in general, and and I think, you know, my, this show is is – a terrific example of it. Uh, it's getting, it, it's big and getting bigger. And I don't think that there's, I, I'm very serious about it. I mean, I know sometimes my shtick on the show is that we, you know, just sort of winging it, but uh, it's a big deal. And I think that the, 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 the aggregate attention that people out there are spending listening to podcasts is just tremendous. Oh, I agree. Um, and I don't think it's had its its moment yet. Um, it's blogger moment. Um, do you remember? So back when you know, you know, we all used to do our websites and you know, hand code everything, and you know, the there was no CMS or any of that. And then blogger showed up, and all of a sudden, it became that much easier. It was like one. It, I, I remember their. I think their tagline was one click publishing or something. Yeah, if not them, somebody had that. Yeah, but we haven't had that for podcasting yet. It just it feels like all of the pieces are there, like the recording and the hosting um, and the distribution, but they're all in different places. And nobody's yet figured out how to tie them all together in, into uh, here's here's the here's the the one thing you need to do to both make and listen to podcasts and to find podcasts. But I think. You know, the 
I think what we're heading towards is, you know, you get in your car at some point and you just hit your podcast button on your dashboard and you start listening to whatever you had queued up. Yeah, I think that uh, I, you just took the words right out of my mouth is to me, the difference isn't so much even on the production side, although it is true that that even somebody who just wants to get started rolling their own podcast definitely has to do more work than than what blogger made it to, you know, this sort of order of magnitude leap and ease of look, here's your blog. Here's a box for a title. Here's a box for the body hit publish. And now you've got an entry. We're not there yet on the publishing side. But to me, the bigger thing is consumption, where it's right. still a lot of it just feels like a little bit of a Rube Goldberg thing to get get and keep them synced up and to listen to them everywhere you want to be. The iPhone, and, and it's funny because, and this, you know, this goes back almost, got to be close to 10 years now, maybe even 10 years, is the whole name podcast, you know, is obviously the pod comes from iPod. But getting them on an iPod was a, always a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. It was, you know, you'd suck them down to your Mac in iTunes, and then you'd have to plug your iPod into your Mac and wait for it to sync. And it was never the right time because you want it like you're like, I'm on the way out the door and I want to just grab my iPod and go and listen to podcasts. But oh, I haven't synced in a couple of days. And that means I've got nothing but last week's old ones. When's the last time you hooked up a phone to a to a computer? You know, I'm a bad example because I'm working on an app, a new version of Vesper. So I have to do it. For that, for development, okay. but for but any other reason that. other than development, uh, it's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. When's I, the last time you launched iTunes? Uh, Not accidentally. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know. Accidentally is the only reason I can think of. Yeah, I mean, part of the issue here is that iTunes is a piece of shit. Yeah, and it's it really is. Just it just looks old. It just looks like something from I don't know. It just feels like something from the Bush administration. Oh, so wait a minute. I I I I think I do launch iTunes every once in a while. Here's the use case for that. So I'm flying somewhere and I want to load some video. I want to get some movies for my for my iPad. Yeah, that's a good. I do that. That's probably when I do too. And that depending on how you do it and what you might already have on your iPad can take two apps or one. So if you're so let's say you're you you've been binge watching a TV show and you have old episodes of that TV show on your iPad and you just go to the page with uh, with the TV show listings there's the get more episodes link. Yeah. And and you can just download episodes right from there. But if you're looking for episode, if you're looking for something that's not already on your iPad, that's not you know further episodes of something you already have on there, you have to go to the stupid iTunes app. You can't do it. Well, there's a, there's so there's a, a store link in the videos app that takes you to the iTunes app, where you can get them there in that stupid little box, that stupid little pop up box. Right. It's 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 it sucks. Yeah, and it feels too convoluted. It's way convoluted. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm the same way. And I feel like, you know, you, with apps on the phone for podcasts, you know, whether it's um, Apple's podcasting app or um, I've been using Castro 
I know a friend of the show, Marco Armand, has his his app coming up. It's better because it's a lot more natural that you just subscribe in this app and you know the shows eventually get there. But for stuff like playing in the car, then you still got to have some kind of hookup between the phone and the car. I'm with you where I feel like it's got to get to the point where it's it's just like tuning into XM radio or something in your car where you know, and maybe the whole CarPlay thing is the way we'll get there. But yeah, I think that's that's a step. Um, I I don't own a car, so this isn't an issue for me. And I don't like you say XM XM radio. Uh, like, did that actually take off? You know what? It only did. I think because so many car they got deals with so many car makers to have it built in. You know that it's you, you know you just get it. Like we have a car. It's I guess it's getting old now. I think it's eight years old, seven or eight years old. But we have the XM, and it's it's a negligible amount per month. And it's XM. It, I think they're doomed because I feel like the future has got to be. We, we're all in these cars with phones that have LTE connections to right. the internet, and yet I'm using this crummy. I forget what the kilobit per second of XM radio is, but it's pretty bad. It's it's bad enough that even my bad ears can hear that it's tinny and overcompressed. Um, way worse than streaming audio that you get over like an LTE connection. And it just seems ridiculous that you're communicating to a satellite by a crappy digital connection. But the huge advantage, if you just want to turn something on for a car trip versus FM radio, is that there's no commercials. Whereas FM radio, I don't know, have you tuned into FM radio lately? If by lately you mean in the last 20 years, probably. I did it on a lark the other day, driving Jonas home from baseball practice. And it's we were we, we had practice at this place way down by the it was an indoor place because it was a rainy day, uh, batting cage type place down by the airport. So you know roughly how far from the airport it is to Center City. It's you know it's like a twenty minute drive. Uh, the entire I, I just thought on a lark and I, just thinking about stuff like this about you know radio and audio and podcasts and stuff. I thought let's listen to MMR, and I put MMR on and it was commercials all the way home. 20, it was a tw- like 20 minutes of commercials. We didn't, we, we got, like a, a, a real song came on as we got to the house. And that was it. Man, I used to listen to that so much when I lived there. And it wasn't MMR. even good. Yeah, it wasn't no. even good. No, it was never good. <laughs> the only thing that, that they have going for them is they still have that same logo. So there's, they're, they're rocking a sort of nostalgia. They're the only one left, I think. That They're, that ugly ugly ass bubble letter logo. Yeah, totally eighties orange. Wow. you know you know you know it. You you know it's exactly what you think. Anybody who's ever lived in Philadelphia knows that logo. That's but I'm awesome. with you. I feel like that's that is podcasting's future moment. That it's it's growth from here to there until well, you can just tune in anywhere, anytime. Well, I think I mean its future moment is where when it's indistinguishable from radio. Um, in, t- in terms of how you get it. Right. Like, I think, um, I think there, there are radio shows that get this. I think, you know, the NPR people got this very quickly. Yeah. They under, they understood that, Hey, what I, we, we might not get what this podcasting thing is, but let's get on it. 
Yeah, and I think that's the great advantage they had of not being beholden to commercial breaks. I mean, right. and I know that over the years people have given them a lot of grief because they, it's not that they don't have sponsors. I mean, they call them different things. You know, this show's brought to you by you know so and so, but they're not beholden to these every fifteen, ten, fifteen minutes these breaks where they run traditional radio commercials, and so they didn't have anything. They 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 weren't as hesitant to disrupt themselves as as radio stations would be. What what I worry about is who's going to pay for this shit. So, you know, the sponsorship model that's that's you know there now. I mean, how much money does Squarespace have? I hope it's a lot <laughs> because they're they're funding half of every podcast in the universe, and we have to like one of the things that we talk a lot about. Um, is what happens when this first wave of people who are willing to pay for for podcasts disappear? And r- right now, podcasts are still a huge majority of podcasts are, are are supported by tech and about tech. That's certainly changed a bit in the last couple of years, but then I mean the needle's moving in the right direction. But it, but we're still talking about an industry that's dominated by tech shows. Yeah, and even like uh, two perfect examples. They're related because they've got they share founders and they have the same idea. But um, Warby Parker sponsors a lot of podcasts, and Harry's the men's shaving yeah. company. Um, and their their products are clearly not tech, especially Warby right. Parker because. Right. Warby Parker, I mean, is anybody with bad eyes, you know, should be looking at them. But in a sense, though, they are because part of their disruptive model is is we can bring lower prices by selling this crap directly to the consumer over the internet. So they are still tech in the sense that they've cut out the retail middleman. I was excited when when Warby Parker showed up. Uh, not just because they were bringing money, which is great, but just be- because it it it's more of a consumer good. Yeah, I mean, it is a consumer good. It definitely has a tech component to it, but it's uh, it it the appeal to a broader audience. Like, I don't go to Warby Parker because I'm a I'm a tech head nerd. I go to Warby Parker because I need glasses. Right. And if podcasting is going to survive and flourish, and I think it will flourish, uh, we're gonna it's going to need it's going to need that kind of attention. It's going to need to appeal to the audience, to, to a Warby Parker audience and above. It's going to need to appeal to a Whole Foods audience. It's going to need to appeal to a Target audience, not just a Squarespace audience. Right. And it's going to need it's going to need the kind of shows that that audience appeals to as well. Yeah, I totally see that. I mean, one of... I mean... One of the things that um, one of the failures of Mule Radio is that we don't have a sports show yet. I've been dying to get a sports show, and we talked we talked about this years ago. Yeah, with uh, MacArthur. Yeah, MacArthur. Uh, with American MacArthur. We didn't even last as long as MacArthur himself. No, we didn't. <laughs> um, but but we wanted to do a podcast for that show, and I think that podcast would have been great. It was just a matter of. All the people who were writing for that show like couldn't even sustain the writing, yeah. um, but we were all in different locations, and it was just too hard to figure out. Yeah. Could be. I would imagine it as being something, and, and don't say you know never. I wouldn't rule it out, but I would imagine it as being to sports what uh, 
Snell's The Incomparable is to, um, I don't even know what you'd say The Incomparable is, movies and TV shows, popular movies and TV shows. General nerdity. Yeah. That's a good show. Yeah, it's a great show. And I, you know, the, the sort of, um, there's a circle of incomparable personalities, but it's, it's less, you know, because it's not the, although I guess Snell is edits every show, but for the most part though, nobody else has that big of a commitment, you know, in terms of every single week having to do it. And I know that it can sound, it is a, it's a very white wine, you know, I mean, there are 10 million worst problems to have in the world, but doing a show every week is, it's a, you know, it's a serious commitment. Oh, it's a pain in the ass. And I feel like that sort of, um, you know, there's a, a regular gang, but everybody's not in every week. It could totally work for sports. It also works with the seasonality of sports, where somebody who's, you know, not into baseball, you know, but is a football bat maniac, you know, could just most more or less take the summer off. Yeah. Speaking, I mean, uh, speaking of Squarespace, let me... Let me thank yeah. them as our second sponsor. Yeah, yeah go for it. <laughs> our good friends at Squarespace. We joked about them before, but... Set, set that up perfectly, didn't we? Yeah, you didn't even know. I like, had no idea. You had no idea. But you know what? You could you could win a lot of money betting on Squarespace as a sponsor of, uh, true. of a podcast, including this one. You and know they them. Good, they have a good product. They have a fantastic product. You go to Squarespace, you sign up, and you can get your own website. And it's all, everything is built into their system. You can have a store, you can have a blog, you can set up your own podcast. It's probably the closest you can get to blogger for podcasting. Um, they have great templates and designs. They're all responsive. They all look great on mobile. They look great on tablets. They look great on desktop. Um, they have fantastic customer support. They have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week support team in New York City, and they're great. I think they've won more awards for their support team than they have for their product, and their product is great. Uh, you'd be surprised at how many of the sites you look at that are built on Squarespace. It's a tremendous product. Go check them out. Here's the URL. Now, this is the thing. They've, they've, they've run out of clever URLs. The URL this month is Squarespace dot com slash gruber g-r-u-b-e-r they also have an offer code separate the offer code is jg just type in jg when you sign up and you get 10 percent off and you'll save that for uh, as long as you have the account it's a great deal a great service if you've been thinking about setting up a website for anything a store a blog a podcast you're nuts if you don't check out Squarespace. So go check them out at squarespace.com slash Gruber, G-R-U-B-E-R. And I, I endorse them as well. Uh, what else is going on this week? So um, there's the sad news with uh, Massimo Vignelli. Ma yeah, that sucks. But man, what a life. So he... If for those who don't know him, he's a, a to say he's a famous graphic designer is is to understate uh, it just understates it completely. He did among other things uh, 
he did the New York City um, Metro, the MTA stuff. So, so the, the the map, the subway map, right? Like, the, like the subway map that everybody. Yeah, has. it is. It's the subway map. Like he did the New York one, but you know, it also became the model for every subway map designed after that subway map. Right. So he built the template for how to do a subway map with that New York one. Well, and the big part of it, and it's not just, again, it, it, it's that mantra that, you know, you can reuse over and over and over again, the Steve Jobs thing about that design isn't how it looks, it's how it works. It's not just that the map looks good, it's that it works so well. And the New York City subway line is so complicated and so many lines. And his the genius of it is that he kind of separated it from the actual geography. Right. And that if you overlay an actual geographic map of New York over the subway map that he created, it doesn't line up at all. But by separating that, it actually makes more sense. And that's what makes it easier and to use because these di- the diagonals all run at 45-degree lines. And it just makes conceptual sense that, right. yes, I want to get to Yankee Stadium. Here I am. Okay, I can take this train up to there. And at 42nd Street, I can switch to this train, and that'll take me right up to the Bronx. You know, so the thing about a a really good idea is that when you see it, your first reaction is like, oh, duh. But of course, that's how you do that. Right. It's just that nobody had done it before. Right. And but, when he did it, people rejected it. Right? Everybody was like, "You can't. What this doesn't this doesn't line up with the with New York's geography." Right. But but that wasn't the goal. Right. Massimo understood that the goal was getting people from point A to point B, and he figured out the right way to do that. And he figured out that you know the geography was kind of a suggestion. Right. Like you know, this kind of sort of looks like New York enough. All right. Now, how do I get from point A to point B? Right. Um, he did the original, the one that everybody still remembers, the American Airlines uh, branding. He was a big fan, obviously. I mean, famously. I mean, he was even featured in uh, Gary Hustwitz's film, Helvetica. He was a big, big user of Helvetica and, and Swiss design in general and that sort of basic uh, Swiss geometric look. Not well, just to un- type, but to everything. Unlike Eric Speakerman, good, our good friend Eric Speakerman, he understood that Helvetica is the only font you ever need. Yeah, I it's I, I I actually I'm drawing a blank on anything Massimo did that wasn't Helvetica. I'm I'm trying to troll Speakerman. I don't think he listens to the show. <laughs> well, we should make him listen. <laughs> He's a genius in his own right, but his his blind spot for Helvetica has always confounded me. But on the other hand, maybe because he he which sunk- is funny because he designed Bodoni. He designed so many great fonts. Um, yeah. But maybe it's the fact that he doesn't like it, which drove him in the direction to do these other things that are new and distinct and not just re- rehashing pre- you know, already tread ground. So my, one, of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite things he did was, um, and I don't, this one isn't as famous as in the New York subway, but uh, you know when you go to a national park and you get a map? Yes. That's his. It's just and, great stuff. And any national park you go to, you they give you the brochure, and you you understand immediately, I'm at a national park. Oh, it's the brochure. I know how to use this brochure. Because it follows the same grid structure. It follows the same content structure from uh, park to park to park. 
the the new American Airlines livery. I think that's what they is it livery or livery. I, this is one of those it's, words it's, that I it's don't. L- livery like live a snacks right. Uh, where they went away from his design and and switched to I don't know what typeface it is some kind of humanist thing and it's you know the colors are vaguely the same and you can you know if you can read you can read that it still says American Airlines it it's such it's such a pointless redesign and it came at a time when American Airlines was in trouble and I, I it was one of those redesigns where you just know it was it was part of a you know distract from the financial problems let's right. uh, let's come out with a new identity because it didn't do anything to help them it didn't like like when twitter got the new bird yeah exactly it's exactly like twitter getting a new bird right it just came at a time of well let's do something and it just made me so sad because the old american airlines brand and livery could have lasted forever oh it was beautiful it would, it would, it could, it would, could live it, it, 50 years from now, it would still look exactly the, as good. And a hundred years from now, it would probably look just as good. Yeah. The new one sucks. It has those, that, that awful, awful tail bullshit with yep. the, the stripes. And, um, I don't know what the hell is going on here, but it's like a, a, a weird eagle headed shape coming like it just it's terrible i've it's, seen it a lot lately because philly's main uh airline is u.s air and u.s air is acquiring merging with american but it's really it's one of those like a reverse acquisition where u.s air is the one that's fiscally solvent and they're buying american but because american has the better more established brand they're going to rebrand the whole thing as american airlines and so when I fly, and I've been flying a lot recently, um, and a lot of it's on U.S. Air, everything at, at like Philly Airport at least is fifty-fifty now. Like all the when you go to the U.S. Air desk, it's it's U.S. Air and American. They're like like one foot in each boat right now, and then soon I guess they're just gonna take their foot out of the U.S. Air one. And I was so hoping that they would use this as an opportunity to go back to the classic. American Airlines brand, but apparently not. The old one is so beautiful. I mean, do you do you remember when UPS switched logos? Yeah, I was just thinking about that, and I, that's the only thing I could think about this is that they wanted to make it seem as though the, the UPS logo switch uh, made sense. That was probably what about five years ago? Maybe, yeah, maybe a little longer, somewhere between five and eight. But they had that beautiful Paul Rand logo, one of his best, and he's you know he really was. Right. And and that's saying something. Uh but you, they had the perfect logo. Right. It's just the perfect idealized iconog- iconographic package. Perfection. It was logo perfection. Right. And and they replaced it with 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 shit. <laughs> it's pure shit. <laughs> they it, it already looks dated. It it they they replaced it with this sort of gradient look, you know, that was it was sort of and a swoosh. Yeah, and and this sort of like their printer said, "Hey, we we can print this uh gradient that'll make the shield look curvy on the trucks. Well, then let's Ooh. use it." And oh, just just awful. It already looks bad. It it, it was I don't know. I, I I don't think it was more than 5 or 6 years ago, but it was certainly within the last decade. And it already looks old, whereas the Paul Rand one would have lasted forever. Yeah, I really would have. The other thing about his his and I mean it sincerely that that Paul it's not just bitching about it because they changed it, you know, but it 
uh, it was just so perfect. It, it was good looking and it was distinctive. Nobody else used, I mean, they still have the brown. So, I mean, they're not that stupid that they got rid of that. But the, the Paul Rand one made them look authoritative. Like yeah. they were, they, they somehow always as a kid seemed to me even more authoritative than the Postal Service. That even though the Postal Service was actually from the federal government, packaged by UPS, that was that was the real deal. Oh, that was good stuff. I mean, when, like UPS does not deliver bad news. I think that's part of it. Exactly. And they don't like screw if, up. If UPS showed up, they were bringing you something you wanted. When the mail showed up, 50-50 shot that that was going to suck. Right. Overdue bill, collection agency. But yeah. UPS was always good. And I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with this. I don't know if I I mean it's gotta speak to like really good hiring practices. But every UPS guy or every UPS agent that I've ever dealt with has been great. Oh, that I have the exact same experience here. Totally. Yeah. Like and and then like the FedEx guy'll show up and you know, he's maybe recovering from last night. He's, you know, just smells like at, smoke. Smells like cigarette smoke. Yeah, just a, you have a veneer of sweat. Yeah. But the UPS guy always looks impeccable. Very true. I are you? We have a regular UPS guy, and it's like I don't. Even, I, I I'm a little bit embarrassed. I don't know his name, but we just call each other Chief, right? Because we're in Philly. Yeah, that works. Yeah. We're, yeah. And you know, but he knows That's, me. I know him, and it, he's awesome. There was one time. It was just just a couple weeks ago where um, we were going away and uh, it was one of my recent travel, you know, we were flying the next day and Amy had ordered something that she wanted for the trip and Amy was gone and it was just me and Jonas, but I had to go pick up dry cleaning that we wanted to take with us on the trip. So Jonas was home. We don't let him answer in the door because he's only 10 years old and he doesn't want to answer the door. So he doesn't answer the door. And I knew I had like a 15 minute window where if the UPS guy came in that 15 minutes, we were going to miss this package. And it that's when he came. And I was like a block and a half away, two blocks away. And he's I see him driving and he sees me and he pulls over and he goes, hey, I just missed you. And he tosses me the package. FedEx guy would have flipped you off. <laughs> he never would have given it to me. No. Never in a million years. And, and now there's, um, I don't know. I don't know if this is regional or what, but like those those shit services that Amazon dumps their crap to. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like a guy a guy with a Subaru. Yeah, like eco deliver. Right. Like. No, I know exactly. It's just a guy with a Subaru. You know, I don't know. They maybe they do some kind of background check on him or something, but they don't even have uniforms. They these like these are the guys who couldn't get Uber X jobs. <laughs> and they're delivering your packages <laughs> exactly <laughs> and you know what it takes not to get hired by uber x <laughs> like i th i think your your dick has to be visibly outside your pants <laughs> with a with a tattoo on it right <laughs> it says mom and there's a heart well anyway the sad story <laughs> about massimo vinelli is uh is that he's apparently very gravely ill um I just linked this up today, and his son, you know, they're spreading the news and that they want, you know, uh, anybody who's been inspired by him to just send him a letter. His son, you know, the, his son literally envisions, you can't, don't think, 
uh, oh, I don't want to bother him. They're probably going to get a lot of letters already. They, oh, they want this. Right. His son is envisioning sacks and sacks of letters. Uh, and he gave an address and just anybody who's been inspired by I did it. Did you do it? I, I literally made a real short letter. Uh, I I have a postcard. I'm going to mail it on the way home. I, I printed out a little thing. And, uh, of course, I said it in uh, in Helvetica. Uh, I just made a just little short thing just said thank you. And yeah, and, and big letters, and and uh, dropped it in the mail today. That's all you need to say. The man doesn't. The man's not going to read an eight page letter. So no, it's, I, 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 mine. Here's I'll read you mine. I, I didn't know how to address him. I addressed it to Mister Vignelli, and it just said comma, and then in big double the size. It just said thank you for everything, and then I put my name at the bottom. There you go. That was it. And you know, I tweeted this out earlier today. If uh, you know, if if you're like a young designer and you're like. Who's Massimo Vignelli? Just write the postcard and take this opportunity to do it because in a few years you'll wish you had. Yeah. You, you won't have it anymore. Yeah. Boy, and he was one of I I love I love the whole Gary Hustwit design trilogy, but you know, sort of like Star Wars, it's like the first one has a special place in your heart. I love Helvetica. And yeah. and he was so great in it. Oh, I mean the whole movie is great. I'm not I, I can't say that he made the movie, but how great! I, it's it just does me well knowing that he's ill. I, I mean, let's hope that he gets better. But it sounds like you know it's bad shape. It doesn't sound like that's. It does not. Words. But oh man, how great is it though that Gary had 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 the idea to do the movie while he was still around? Because if you're gonna make a movie called Helvetica about Helvetica and typography, man, it 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 would have been a crying shame not to have him in it. it really, absolutely. Would've. I mean, it would it never would have been the same movie without him. Nope. Uh, so anyway, sad news there, but but uh, kind of a neat thing his son is doing. I hope it works out great, and I take some pictures of all the stuff that comes in. It is, yeah. <clears throat> all right, happy news. All right. Do you have any? Uh, is comicsology happy news? Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. No, that's not. <laughs> talking I about... Mean, talking about making things worse. <laughs> you get, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't even get it. Let's, you know, I, I understand why, but the why is stupid. So for those, for, for John's three listeners who don't also read comics and, um, you know, might have girlfriends, um, comiXology was, was comiXology was the thing that I, that I did with 80% of the time I touched my iPad. Is that really true? Yeah, it really is. Like, so I don't use it that much. I use it for reading comics. I use it for movies if I'm traveling, like on a flight. Yeah. And I use it for reading, uh, but I like split time between that and my Kindle, depending on what's closest to me. Right. Um, but yeah, I loved reading comics on the iPad. I think comics were the one... And I don't know the economics. I don't know how much money Comixology had made, but it just seems just just without stats to back it up, just observing and listening to friends. Comics are the one thing, the one periodical that really seemed to be thriving on the iPad. Well, because it doesn't matter when you read it. 
Well, and I think it's combined, and and that it's back it, issues. Back issues are just as relevant as right. current issues, and there's so much nostalgia in here. I mean, so I used to buy. I used to go to the comic book shop, and uh, every week, every Wednesday, I'd go to the comic book shop. I'd grab my stack. I'd go home, and during the course of the week, I would read through them until it was Wednesday again, and I'd get a new stack. And after a few years, you end up with a lot of fucking comics. And I'm not one of those guys who like put them in baggies. Um, but th there would just be massive piles of comics around the house. And it feels like a shame to throw them out. Even right, if you you're not putting them in baggies and filing them away, it feels like a crying shame to throw a good comic book out. I don't know. Right. I've just so, never been a throw out a comic book sort of person. So I went out and I got all these long boxes and I put all the comics in them. And now I have like 20 box, 20 long boxes of comics in my house that I'll probably never open again, but don't ever want to throw out. So when the iPad came around uh, and Comixology came out, all of a sudden it got really, really easy to read a comic on your on your on a on a device on an iPad, and it was a really great device to read. It, it's like the iPad was made for reading comics. Yeah, see, I think that's part of it too. Is that there's no no compromise. I mean, you know, reading a, an actual printed comic book is cool, and you know, and it works. But reading them on the iPad, especially once the iPad went Retina, uh, yeah, which is you know, effectively at this point in time, most all iPads in use. It, it's just great. And the way that you could zoom and go from panel to panel so that if it was actually physically small, you could just quick tap into zoom and see it. It was all just great. And and the the nature of comics where one comic book does not take that long to read. You know, the full right. story uh, is usually, you know, spans, you know, four or five episodes or issues. Um, it. it it just works in the way that like binge watching TV shows works digitally, but really just didn't, you know, it didn't become a thing until after the DVD era ended and the download over Netflix or iTunes or whatever, because you could say, you know what? It's only 11 o'clock. I've got one more in me and that was a good episode. Let's watch one more. Yep. And it's the same thing with, with comiXology where you got to the end of a good one and you, you're just one tap away from yeah. Just here, get, here's my two. Take my two dollars and give me the next one. Well, it was like crack, right? And I mean, there there are a couple here in the office. There, you know, there's a few of us who who read comics, um, and I mean, we 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 were amazed when we uh, realized how much money we were sinking in a comicsology on a weekly basis. Because it was just so easy to to hit. Give me that next one. Give me that next one. And it's three bucks down. The, and it's three bucks spent. So I'm and, I'm curious where how how severe a drop off they're going to see. I think it is going to be severe because it wasn't. So I mean, I've heard people go, "Well, you can just go to the website. You can collect all your comics for the week." But the thing that doesn't account for it is, is discoverability. Like I would go in, I would go in there looking for one comic, and I would en end up reading like four more titles that I'd never heard of before because it was recommending them to me, because they were showing up on the featured page, and because I was willing to give them a shot. Because at three bucks, you're willing to give something a shot, right? And you end up discovering all these new titles that you that you didn't know about, and and now you're buying one every month. 
And it like entire evenings were spent this way. And now you have to make a con it's just like and if you're so if if you're a casual comic reader and you're like, oh, let's download this comics app. Previously, it's like, hey, here's here's thousands of comics that you can try. And um, now you download the Comicsology app, and it's like, dude, where are your comics? Yeah, it's and a, you have it sucks. Sad. And I I I don't know where fully to ascribe blame. I, I kind of blame Amazon a little bit because obviously they knew when they acquired them, this is what they were going to do. Yeah. And it was going to be a big disappointment to an awful lot. It has to be a majority of the existing users. You know, we're going to buy this popular app and most of the users are on iPads. And now most of them have a significantly worse buying experience. Yeah, I do understand Amazon's motivation not to want to give thirty percent to Apple, but uh, they knew what they had going in when they bought they, it. They knew it going in, and the Comicsology people knew it going in, or should have known it, or should have at least fucking asked about it. Right. But I see even even with the giving your thirty percent to Apple bit. I think you're still screwing yourself in 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 you're you're still screwing yourself in the long term because the amount that you just crippled the discoverability for new users and of com and of related comics isn't going to make up the 30% that you're getting back isn't going to make up for for what you've taken away. Yeah, and the other thing too, and that Comixology pulled this off in a way that I'm surprised that everybody went along with, was that Comixology was like a comic book shop where you didn't have to go to a Marvel comic shop and then drive a couple more blocks, take a cab, and go to the DC comic shop, and then go stop in the indie comic shop. It's right. like you could just go to Comixology and you could get all of that. Like at a real well, comic shop. I mean, was it? Am I except, overstating it? Was, except Dark Horse, which sucked. So there were individual holdouts. But yeah, they but, had them most. They right. had most of them. But it was closer, though, to a, a you know, one stop shopping. And they were like they were they were like the type kit of comics. Yeah, that's a good example. The, you can get most of the fonts here. Yeah, good example. Um, yeah, you if you come here, you're going to have. You're not just going to get you know these fonts you're going to get most fonts right yeah uh and every once in a while you have to drive to hoffler's house because <laughs> you really really need uh need gotham right um and at, it's so little works out like that digitally. Every, nobody wants to share like that. Everybody sees digital as this chance to make their, you know, their own uh, little moat where it's just DC. And now that's back where we are, where if you want to, you know, Marvel and DC are going to have to make their own apps and you're going to have to go to different apps for different things. And, you know, I mean, for superhero stuff, everybody kind of knows the separate universe. I mean, it's part of being – it's not like, you know, I, I, you know, not knowing what channel a certain TV show is on. Everybody kind of knows Spider-Man is – anybody who reads comics knows Spider-Man is Marvel and Batman is DC. 
Well, they know that now. Right. And eh, I think they probably, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty ingrained. I don't know. But reading comics on the iPad is now, the, the bottom line though, is that whoever the blame goes, it's, it's worse now than it was. And that you're, sucks. So as a general rule, you're not going to make more money by making something harder for people to use. Yeah. Or hard, and especially harder to separate them from their money. Yeah. Because that's always going to be the, the stickiest part of the thing. I mean, separating people from their money under the old comicsology model, there was so much lube in that flow. Like money just flowed out of your wallet. It was it was kind of incredible how quickly you spent money on that on that app. Yeah. And Amazon totally knows that. I mean, because that's certainly a big part of the appeal of using Kindle. Um I you know, for example, a couple of years ago I read reread all of Ian Fleming's James original James Bond novels. And they're pretty short, you know, like that back in those days, you know, 50s, 60s up until I don't know when it's changed, but novels used to be fairly short. I mean, you know, you could put, uh, famously, you could put uh, The Catcher in the Rye, you could put it in your jeans pocket. Uh, so, you know, they, they were short reads. And if I read it and I still had, you know, gas in the tank at night, it, it I would just immediately, there's like two two taps of a button and I'm reading the next one in the series. Right. Which it, I remember thinking, like, that's so totally different than the physical days you know, of physical books, like, you know, where I, even if I'd bought the whole series uh, and had it and, but had like the next one upstairs in my office, I might've just gone to bed. Whereas two, two taps of a finger, I'm going to sit here and read another one. And I think that, that comiXology has totally lost that. Yep. And, Uh, and, and now, I mean, now there's a shopping cart model. Yeah. By the way, by the way, their website is atrocious. Yeah, because doesn't the I mean, website predate the app? Yeah. Right. If if you're going to pull this move, your website better be fucking great. And it's not. It's terrible. Um, and it has a shopping cart model. So what, what you never want to do with an addict, and I think comics readers are addicts, is show them a total. Mm. Oh, that's so, a good point. So I would sit there at night just hitting buy, 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 buy. And so I'm, I'm just buying comics an issue at a time. Now I go to, I go to the website and I get to see a total like, holy shit, I'm spending $35 on comics today. That's, yeah, really, it, that, that's really a lot of money. It would be like if your bag of chips had like a digital readout that showed you how many calories you've consumed as, right. you, as you take the chips out of the bag. Right. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, well, maybe I won't try. Well, I'm certainly not going to try this new one that I've never heard of before. It might suck, and I want to get out of here under 20 bucks. So all of a sudden, I'm deleting from the cart. Yeah, and addiction is sort of a loaded word, but I think it's a fair one. And, it, and, and, and the comics addiction in the you know, grand scheme of addictions and ways to, to blow money online is pretty benign. You know, as opposed to, say, something like Candy Crush, where there's all these various psychological tricks and artificial barriers like the the stupid way that they uh, will lock you out and say like you you unless you give right. us money you're done for half an hour right you know there's nothing like that it's just you know if you're you must have been enjoying this story but this is i mean this has always been the joy of comics it's it's a quick hit right it's i mean i remember when i was a kid um 
they're for they went they went up from like twenty five to thirty five cents. You're you're pretty old. Yeah, I am pretty old. But yeah, they used to be they used to be twenty five cents. Yeah, I, I can't so, remember how much. Wait, my parents just gave me a box, just by coincidence, a box of a couple boxes of old stuff from my boyhood, including a bunch of old comics. Uh, I, I, I might have some in there that are thirty-five cents. But I mean, that's not a lot. And even no. at three bucks, I mean, three bucks, yeah, I'll hit that button. But thirty-five bucks, I'm going to think a little bit about this. Yeah. Do you remember the West Coast Avengers? Yeah, Hawkeye. Okay. Yeah, I was. I had that. Well, I didn't have the whole. I mean, eventually, you know, that's the thing with comics is that it's like soap operas. You can never actually. They never end. Eventually, I guess they reboot them. But I had like the whole first couple of years of West Coast Avengers, and I liked it. At some point in the eighties, it must have been when they started it, and I liked it because unlike the regular Avengers, which was up at like issue you know two hundred and whatever. And I felt like I had this nagging sense of incompletion because I missed 200 episodes, you know, beforehand. I liked that I was starting with issue one. Right. And I remember thinking it was going to be real valuable. And I remember thinking, I got to really baby this issue one. And of course, it's. I ended up just, it was just in a pile underneath my bed. Yeah, issue one was always a big deal, not just because it might be valuable someday but like you said it's your opportunity to come in at the very beginning of the story and that didn't happen too often right. it happen it happens a lot more now because now there's a lot more reboots a lot more yeah. offshoots a lot more mini series but back then you, you had like issue number f- i remember 500 something of spider-man and the fantastic four was up at like a ridiculous yeah. number yeah. fantastic four was uh i, I yeah five six seven hundred something like that yeah um I remember, th- and I th- when I had these, I got these issues from my parents, and I thought Jonas might really dig it. Like, here's what the comic books were when I was a kid, and I showed it to him, and uh, a he thought Hawkeye looked. He couldn't. He did not believe me that Hawkeye was Hawkeye. <laughs> purple, purple Hawkeye with, with the pointy eyes. Yeah, and B. He thought that he was like, "What is this? They're they're ripping off Iron Man." And I was like, no, you know, Iron Man in the 80s kind of had shoulder pads and he was silver, not gold. And he's like, no, he wasn't. And I was like, yes, he was. It was the 80s. Shoulder pads were in. <laughs> he called him ripoff Iron Man. And he said, I'm not going to read a ripoff. So he wouldn't even read it. Goddamn kids. I would have been so happy to read my dad's comic books. But, I, you know, he threw them out. And I thought, well, I'll keep them. And then my son will read mine. And... He doesn't. He wants nothing to do with them. Do you remember when um, the first time that Star Wars came back into the theaters? I do. It's like uh, the nine, like late nineties. Like oh, 20th. I thought you meant like nineteen seventy nine. Like two, no, you know? no, no, the, no. The first time they came back, it was like I the do. 20, re- I remember twentieth anniversary. Yeah, it was the first time that Lucas started dicking with them. Yeah, nineteen ninety seven. I think. Yeah. I think you're right. It was twenty twenty years. So they um, they reintroduced all the all the action figures at yeah. the same time, and I bought every single one and had them all like still in the packaging in a in a really large box. And at one point, I decided, you know what, I'm going to give these to my kid because he was he was 
just getting into Star Wars and knowing all the characters, and he was really into it. And I'm thinking, I got that big box of action figures there. It's it's gonna be, this is gonna be like Christmas in July. Yeah, he's gonna really appreciate this. He's gonna go nuts, and he did. He tore open all the blister packs in about five minutes, played with the toys for another five minutes, and then went off to do something else. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Le- left me standing there with this giant pile of of broken hope at my feet <laughs> for 10 minutes <laughs> yeah it's like that's great what else you got <laughs> do you remember were they the figures that came out and they were real like buff everybody had like steroidal- yeah it was like Tr- troy aikman luke skywalker yeah yeah it was uh, you know huge huge pectoral muscles way out of proportion almost almost like halfway into the masters of the universe sort of physique. yeah exactly uh which was a very bizarre choice i thought like i do realize that that the articulation of action figures has proceeded at a, a remarkable clip since when i was a little kid um but changing the 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 physique of the characters always seemed to me like a very strange uh, a strange decision, given the overall aesthetic of the Star Wars universe. Well, I think you first the first decision is what molds do we have available? Yeah, I don't well, I don't know though. It seemed like everybody, you know, well maybe that was part of it. <clears throat> I liked the original figures from the the Kenner ones from the the seventies. Yeah, those, those guys, are great. They were the like, sort of the opposite. Everybody just sort of looked a little lazy. Nobody had any muscles at all. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't have those. No? No, we were poor. We couldn't afford to spend money on toys. Oh man, that's so sad. I never had any of that stuff. I never so what the thing what really excited me about Star Wars coming back out in the 70s into the theaters. That was the first time I saw Star Wars in a theater because I didn't see the first one. Wow. I I didn't see the first one. And remember, this was before cable. This was before VCRs. And even when cable and VCRs came out, they kept those – the good movies didn't come out. They didn't put Star Wars on on VHS until long into the VHS um, era. So the first time I saw Star Wars – was when it aired on TV. Wow. And by that time, I'd already I'd seen Empire Strikes Back in the theater. But my parents wouldn't let me see Star Wars. Wow. I think they were punishing me for something. I forget what it was. Well, I I, I don't know. That's that's the saddest story I've ever heard. It's pretty sad, right? Yeah. I don't I I, I don't even know what I did between 1977 and 1983 or so other than talk star wars oh i talked about it like i read the novel i read the novelization i read the comics like i knew the plot i need i knew every single minute of plot line right but i'd never seen it yeah i did i read the novelization it was like the most you know what it was you're the person that novelization was created for because the novelization was literally just telling you what happened in the movie exactly (laughs) <laughs> there was nothing else. It was just here's the movie for someone who who for some reason has not or cannot see the movie. So it was actually must have been pretty useful for you. 
But, you know, I'm a perfectly normal adult now, so this had no long-term repercussions. No, no scarring whatsoever. None. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's do the third. This is our final sponsor, and this is great. Love these guys. New to the show as a sponsor. It's our good friends at Briefs. Briefs lets you build prototypes of apps without code using a Mac application built for professionals. You express your ideas by drawing the interface of the app. And it's got, Briefs has great tools, drag and drop templates for buttons and all the elements, standard UI elements. More or less, you build a wireframe of your app. Um, but the difference between Briefs and just sketches or static screenshots is Briefs lets you build, put your, bring your prototypes to life. So you can hook it up so that when you tap a button, it switches from the current screen to whatever screen you go to when you tap that button in the app. Uh, sounds simple, and it is, but it's really, really sophisticated. They've got a lot of advanced features for professional developers, but the whole thing is simple enough that anybody can just pick it up and use. It's a great way to impress your friends and your clients, your colleagues, um, with your app idea, because instead of telling them how the app works and showing them the spring screenshots and telling them, well, if you tap this, you go here. What you do when you build a brief with briefs, it lets them run it right on their phone and they can see it for themselves, how the app works. Saves a ton of time and it makes your ideas far more clear than they would be any other way. Um, I've linked to briefs many times on Daring Fireball. You can search my site and, and see the stuff I've said before. It's a great app. Um, We've used it for Vesper, uh, recommend it very highly. It's a great way to convey your idea in a prototype that actually comes to life. Here's where you go to find out more. Their website, giveabrief.com, giveabrief.com. And you can go there and try it out for free today, or you can go to the Mac App Store, search for briefs, and buy it directly right there in the Mac App Store. My thanks to briefs. So you won an award, Mike. Uh, you 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 just literally today, as we record, we're recording today on Friday, the 9th of uh, May. You you won an award today. I did. Have you ever won an award before? I think so. What did you win? Um, I got the conference talk of the year for twenty thir I guess twenty thirteen. Isn't it a little late for an award for twenty thirteen? Maybe it's for 2014. I don't know. I got the Conference Talk of the Year Award. This is the one that I saw you give at uh, Webstock 2013, though. That's right. Now, that you was February 2013, so we're talking 14 months ago. Yeah. It was a good talk, I have to say. And I, you. you know, and just circling back to the beginning of the show, it pains me to give you a sincere and utter compliment, but it really was, uh, it was a great talk. See, the thing about getting a compliment from you is that I know you always mean it um, because you wouldn't do it unless you absolutely had to. Yeah. And I know that it also pains you, so that makes me feel better. It was, it, it was, and it was impressive for multiple reasons. Web, number one, Webstock is an amazing conference. Yeah, I loved it down there. Very high standards, though. So you, you say it's a you know, great venue, great people, great audience. God, people in New Zealand are just I, I, I've I never met a, a man. They were they were into it. Oh, I mean, it, they're engaged. It is a great audience, great talk. They have other great speakers. 
Uh, so it's a great place to go, but you have to you have to bring your A game really to, to be yeah. there to feel like you deserve it. And you had the closing spot, which which, kind of, which freaked me out. Well, because you can't just it's you know it, opening spot you can kind of get away with just giving a talk because somebody who hosts the thing can get up there and sort of do the you know introductions and you know let's let's get our toes into the water and get into the conference mindset and then here's right. our first speaker closing speaker though has to give a closing talk it has right. to feel like punctuation whether it's a one day or a two day event or something like that it has to emotionally feel like uh, you know this is the end we're done you got to work you got to work the crowd right you got to send the crowd home you're going to be the last thing they hear right uh Two years prior, I've been to Webstock twice, and Merlin Mann had that spot two years prior. Uh, and kill, he did a great job too. I have to say I was worried, and that's one of those things because you're my friend and you worry about you want your friends to do well. I was a little worried about you in that spot because – Really? Yeah, I was because I just – you know I know you're a good speaker and I know you have good things to say. I just didn't know if you could pull it off. Well, did Merlin get conference talk of the year for his closing spot, John? I, I don't think he did. Well, boom. I'm such a dick. <laughs> I saw I saw Merlin's talk. It was a very good talk. It was a very good talk. Yeah. Uh, yours was excellent too, though. Did you end up giving it elsewhere? I'm giving it now. So that was that was the second time I'd given that talk. Um, and it was it. So that was my back burner talk. I've got like the talk that I'm doing this year and the talk that I'm prepping for next year. Hmm. And that, so the way Webstock happened was, was kind of weird. I got, uh, I got an email from, from Mike at Webstock, who's a great guy, two weeks before the event. I, yeah, you, uh, that's crazy. And it's a two week flight. <laughs> it is a two week flight. Uh, I was, I, I li a plane literally stopped while I was reading the email to pick me up. Um, two weeks before the event, he said, hey, will you speak at Webstock? And my first thought was, wow, they, they're they really on top of this. They're already getting speakers for next year. <laughs> uh, and it was like, no, in two weeks. Um, okay, because this I'd always wanted to go to Web. You know this. How, I mean, how many times have I had I bugged you? Like, hey, John, you know the Webstock people, right? Yeah. Get me invited to Webstock. I did. Um, you did. And so two weeks before the show, they're like, hey, will you come down to Webstock? And I'm like, uh, yes, definitely. Okay, but here's the deal. We want you to give the closing talk, and we want you to knock people out of their seats. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Will you write and you talk for us? I'm like, yeah, not in two weeks, my man. Um, but I had this this talk that I kind of put away for a while, and um, I thought, you know what? I think I can make. I think I can turn that talk into the talk he's looking for. I think there's a closing talk hidden in there. What's the title? Uh, How designers destroyed the world. It's a good title. Well, here's the story about the title. So the first time I gave the talk was at uh, at Paris Web, and 
So they invited me to speak there, and I said, oh, yeah, great, I'd love to. Um, I have this talk about, you know, how uh, about designers and client relationships and how you can develop more empathy with your clients. And um, they're like, uh, that sounds great, but and, and I'm not not to shit on these guys. They were great. Um, but the talk's not for salespeople. It's for designers or the conference isn't for salespeople. It's for designers. And I thought, oh, that's a really fucking weird thing to say. Um, well, how about a talk on how designers ruin the fucking world? And they were like, that sounds great. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, shit, now I got to write that talk. But that's actually a really good title for a talk. So that's where the talk came from, was, was me being an asshole to somebody and accidentally coming up with a great title that then needed to be backed up. But you, but you haven't given it again since? I have. I'm giving it at AEA this year. Oh, and so you you you're on the regular AEA cycle, right? You're yeah. you're you're part of the traveling roadshow. Speaking of uh, podcast sponsors, right? So people can you know just I mean what the hell uh, go to the an event apart uh, website and you can look at the schedule and you you're going to be giving that at each of the cities. No, I'm I'm doing five of them this year. Well, then what they're the ones people should know about. Right, so Where I'm next? doing I'm, uh, San Diego is this uh, this weekend or this week. Oh, so no shit. I'll be I'll be giving it in San Diego on Tuesday, and then Chicago, um, Austin, and uh, for the very first time, uh, they're going to Disney World. Yeah, in, in October in Orlando. So I'll be cursing at people in Disney World. I'm going to miss that. You've have you ever been to Disney World? You're a big Disneyland fan. I'm a Disneyland guy. Yeah, we have arguments. You and I we argue that's probably the root of our animosity towards each other. It is. And so I think people are are genuinely surprised and possibly don't believe us when we talk about how much we love the Disney places. I I, I think so too. That but they don't I, believe it. Yeah, I love Disneyland. I've never been to Disney World, but it's see, it's the thing where, you know, if I want to be if, your guide, if you're if somebody says, "Hey, you want to go to Disney?" Like, yeah, I want to go to Disneyland because, yeah, Disney World is weird to me. Disney World is for, is for tourists. Well, we'll have to figure this out. I don't, I, I don't know if I want to go to Disneyland with you or not go to Disneyland with you. You have to come to Disneyland. Well, I definitely want to go. I would like to do a thing. I would like to go and see all the Disneylands around the world. I would like to see the one in Paris. The The one in Japan is apparently the the one to see. Because yeah, they, I would totally do that. Because uh, the, but, but, the backstory I've heard is that they, got, they had like outside investors for the one in, in Japan, and they insisted on upping the standards so like in the way that like disneyland and disney world have such higher production values and standards than your typical theme park that the disneyland japan is even higher than typical disney standards but here's the thing so disneyland is the original right and disneyland like as a designer what excites me about disneyland is that it was built around amazing constraints they they had they had that plot of land 
which was fenced. It was fenced in by you know, the highway and the uh, street and the freeway. They couldn't expand. Um, and they the they had that original design, which was basically a hub and spoke model, where you walk in, you walk through mainland, you're in the circle, you're in the middle of Disneyland, and then everything radiates out from there. So, you as you're expanding the park, you have to figure out what the hell do you do when you run out of space? So Haunted Mansion, for example, you walk into the Haunted Mansion and the first thing you do is you get into that, that room that, that's actually an elevator that looks like it's expanding. But the reason that that room exists is because they have to get you out of the park because they couldn't build the ride in the park. They had to build it out, you know, in the bait under the parking lot. So they figured, so they thought, well, how do we get people down and out? And they came up with this, this room, which, which they've ended up incorporating into every subsequent version of the haunted mansion, even though they didn't have to at that point. Yeah. The one in the one in Florida though, is not an elevator. It goes it, the if you close your eyes and and tell you can tell you're not moving. It just looks like an elevator. Instead, the 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 walls go up instead of the floor going down. Right, right. Which which you know is is the illusion that's being created by the elevator. So to me, like all of those decisions that were made in Disneyland were made because of real constraints that existed. And there were creative ways to, to get around that stuff. Like um, it, like the Indiana Jones ride. The, the giant walkthrough through like the, the caverns and the like all that crap that you walk through in, in line. That's all to get you the hell out of the park. Because they don't that have room for it in the park. Right, because that ride is out in the parking lot somewhere, three levels down. <laughs> See, we don't have that ride. Really? No, there's See, there's no going at Disney World. Yeah, there's no Indiana Jones ride. There's an Indiana Jones stunt spectacular, but uh, uh, that's at the the studios park. But there's no there's no. I know, I know I've heard of this Indiana Jones ride of which you speak, but there that's uh, not there. Is that part of California Adventure? Or is that is that like no an advent- no 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 Adventureland Adventureland Adventure yeah. Land. No, we don't so, have that. Like, so as a designer, you know, one of the things that we have to deal with is constraints. You can't design without constraints and everything has constraints. Yeah. And, and design. And Disneyland and design is, was the most constrained. Right. And Disneyland was the most constraint, constrained. And all of those design decisions that were made to, to, to work with those constraints are amazing. And then you know when they repeated that stuff out in the other parks, then that becomes that it's almost like what other people think design is. Like it's like at that point, it's just surface level stuff. I hear because you there. That's I mean, I definitely want to. I you know at some point I got to take. I don't. Know, I, I you know want to go there while Jonas is still young enough to want to actually go to uh, a Disney park with us. Because um, I feel Bring like that's down one of those this things. Summer. Yeah, you know, it just never We're worked. going this summer. I almost never, I just almost never end up in Southern California. I, I fly to San Francisco several times a year, but it's, you know, just never in Southern California. Well, there, one of these times we have to do it. 
Well, it's right in the middle of Anaheim, and there's no, no other place. There's nothing else to do in Anaheim that you would want to do. Well, other than see the angels, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Trout. You know what, though? Bottom line note that you've you've put your finger, though, on what it is that appeals to the, you know, going to the Disney parks for me is that there's so much design everywhere. Like, that is yeah. anybody who appreciates design of any sort, there's just so much to soak in and think about and and so many details to to notice. I don't know. Every time I meet somebody who's never been there uh, – I've met very few people who've been to one and have been like, ah, it was kind of a letdown. Yeah. Whereas there's a lot like, of people who've never been to one and it's, it's, I feel like their preconceived notions are completely spoiled by Great Adventure or Hershey Park or, you know, any other shithole like that. Yeah. See, w you know, once you, the, the, the amount of detail that goes into Disneyland compared to those other places is ridiculous. Like, when you when you look at all the lands in the park, like Adventureland and Frontierland and New Orleans Square, and you, and you realize just how physically small those areas actually are. But then if you're standing in Adventureland, you are totally immersed by by Adventureland. You yeah. can't see the other areas. You don't even know they exist. Yeah, that my single favorite aspect of the whole Magic Kingdom is the sightline management. And that yeah. every once in a while they do let you peek through to another land, but it's a deliberate, you know, at this spot, we want you to be able to see this. Right. It's the most, to me, it's the most amazing thing. The sightline management. They're, they're marvels of design. Yeah. Uh, the sound management is amazing too, where they yeah. have, you walk yep. around the park and there's a soundtrack that you don't even notice because it's not super loud. And it's certainly, you know, you mostly just hear the sounds of people in an amusement park. But there's music and the music is themed to the land. Um, yep. But they manage the transitions where when you're walking from Adventureland to Frontierland, there's this transition area. But the music syncs up so that it as you hear half of the one and half the other, it doesn't sound like you're hearing two different songs. It sounds like something that actually does go together. And it's at the same beat. And then all of a sudden you're listening to a different song. Yeah. we should, So we're going to go to Disneyland this yeah. summer. I'll actually, tell what we should do is we should, you and I should start a Disney podcast because I feel like if anybody, you know, can bring the joy of, of Disney to children, across the world it would be you know me and for you. kids yeah for kids it would be a it would be a podcast for children so listen up jerks for two really <laughs> two really grumpy 40 something year old men <laughs> who swear a lot spoil all, all of the details of disney theme parks i think it would be a, i think it would be a huge hit So how long does this podcast go on? Is like, are we like halfway through? No, we're done. We're rolling. We're, we're done. We're, yeah, let's 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 call it. A we're not. We're not going to talk about beats. Oh, we could talk about beats. We should let's talk do about ten, beats. Ten, ten minutes, minutes on beats. beats. Ten right. minutes. So the the beats thing to me is interesting only as much as the conversations that are happening about racism. Yeah. Like what the fuck. <sighs> That, you know, and it's funny. Uh, 
it didn't even occur to me at first. And obviously, it occurred to me that 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 uh, certainly, you know, Dr. Dre is black and he's from the hip hop world. It's not like I didn't think that there was any correlation at all. But it didn't even occur to me yesterday. This was, it was yesterday when the Financial Times broke the news that I mean, and it still isn't finalized as we record this. To my knowledge, that Apple is going to buy them, but it seems like a done deal. That's just you know lawyers ironing out details on the contracts. Obviously, it seems done there was, to me. yeah, but nothing's been announced, right? All I mean, right, unless I missed something in the last hour. Um, but now it, yeah, it does seem like some kind of crazy racial subtext thing is popping up about it, and it's like really, I, I, it just seems nuts to me. But not surprising. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting deal because they don't, you know, they don't make deals like this. And because, um, I mean, if you're going to buy a music service, it's weird that you buy that one. I guess, you know, and, and you know, the bottom line is what you don't buy something that you don't need. And what is it that they have that Apple needs? And so at first it, it didn't make sense to me because they don't need the technology. I don't, it's certainly not the hardware technology. Apple can make its own headphones. No, they can't. <laughs> well, Head, headphones and mice. They could. I, I, I personally don't mind their ear. I'm actually using their earbuds right now as we, as we speak, but I realize though that earbuds are a very personal thing. Yeah, headphones are a personal. They're very personal. Like, like I can't stand those earbuds, but I know that. But but a lot of people seem just fine with them, and that's fine. Um, I I actually have a pair of Beats, and they sound fine to me. But if you ask other people, they're like, "Oh, the sound is terrible. No mid range." Like, I don't even know what the hell that means, honestly. Yeah, I don't know what that means either. I just I I know that I. I put them on, I listen to a song, and it sounds like I want it to sound. My hearing's broken anyway, and it probably from terrible headphones. Um, probably, probably because of Beats. I don't think they need the technology for the streaming service. I mean, Apple knows how to put you know, audio and video on the Internet for lots and lots of people to listen at once. I don't think it's a technical problem that has kept Apple from releasing its own Spotify t sort of Pandora style um, streaming music service. I think it's licensing and figuring out a way. No, mm, I mean licensing. Sure, that's one thing, but I also think it's a sales problem. Like Apple knows how to sell less than a dozen things really well to you, but once you're once you you're looking at a catalog of thousands apple doesn't know how to deal with that at all like amazon can sell you one of a thousand things apple can sell you one of 12 hmm. i don't and know about that i think that the the browse the browsing experience on the apple tv um on on itunes like it's it just sucks hmm. i don't know if i agree with that but maybe and I, I don't think their recommendation engine is very good, but that's sort of beside the point of this acquisition. I just don't think that they're buying any technology that they couldn't have built themselves. But there are things that they're getting, I think, especially one day in as I look at all the coverage. They're getting – I see two angles, two things they're getting that they didn't have. And one is that the Beats brand 
appeals to and has a lot of stature uh, in, quite frankly, you know, black America, you know, and it's, you know, somebody cited there was a, a, a Nielsen survey that that 79%, I forget the, but a very a remarkably high percent of black Americans have smartphones. And it's actually higher than any other racial group, that more black Americans have a smartphone than any other racial group. And 73% of the black people in America who have a smartphone have an Android phone. It's And that's disproportionate. I think Apple's overall market share in the U.S. is very, very close to 50%. Um, and Beats is a real strong brand in black America. So they're getting something there. That's something that's actually that they don't have, you know, that you don't buy something that you already have. Well, they don't have that. And then therefore it might make sense to keep that brand around, even though they've never done that. There's never been an Apple owned subsidiary that has its own brand, unless you go back to truly prehistoric times like FileMaker. FileMaker is a whole. That's what I was just thinking. But that's Claris. and that's it's like how many what a hundred times more people have heard of Beats than FileMaker? Maybe a thousand times more. Oh, oh I mean, it's, no, absolutely right. It's, it's, I think I'm not sure I'm totally with you with the, the, the black America thing. And wow, two white guys talking about black America, this is going to be a good podcast. Oh, it's going to uh, be rip, yeah, it's going like to be great. That. I mean, lots of insight here. I don't think it's why they bought it though. I think, but but I think I think it's more more about youth. Hmm. All, two two other things that were uh, one other thing that we're equally unqualified to be talking about youth. <laughs> I I'm right there with you. Because I mean, when I you know when you know when my kid has you know his buddies over and stuff, the majority of them Android phones. Hmm. And and Beats. So, and, you know, as, as, yeah, this is beyond the realm of this podcast, I think, going into like a discussion on, on race in America. Um, well, you know, I, de- uh, it's delicate I definitely, territory. Think, I definitely think it's about getting something they don't have. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I'm intrigued and, because it's something they haven't done before. So it'll be fun to watch. And it could be, it could it could go great. It could go terrible. But either way, it's a great story. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the other thing is the relationships that uh, Jimmy Eovine and uh, Dr. Dre have, and the rest of the you know the leadership there. I mean, uh, you know, what's what's Trent Reznor's title there? He's like Chief Creative Officer, and I don't think that's uh, like a no show job. Like when Alicia Keys got the job as. I think it might have been the same title, Chief Creative Officer at BlackBerry. And it's you know, right. just a fancy way of saying we're paying her to be in a, an ad. Um, you know, I think Trent Reznor is involved. Um, but that they have, and this is some of the stuff I've read today, and, and there's the legal, legal angle, which is that uh, some people speculated, well, maybe these, these music labels didn't want to negotiate with Apple because they're wary of Apple's overwhelming influence in downloads, you know, that they're the music labels aren't happy with the way it turned out that iTunes so dominates. They'd rather have like 20% at Amazon, 20% at Apple, 20% at Google, 20% somewhere else so that no one of the stores 
has undue influence, whereas iTunes, I think, still has, I don't know, 70% of the download market. So they're wary of them, so they don't want to give them streaming rights either. And so Apple buys Beats so that they can have the streaming service, and they've already got the deals in place. But my understanding, and I think a lot of other, you know, it's not public information yet, but the way I understand it is that those deals um, have to be renegotiated if the company is acquired by somebody else. Yeah, I heard that too. But this is what I read today is that these guys, you know, these guys have a really good relationship with the music labels. I mean, Jimmy Yovine practically is a music label. Yeah. And that they expect and that, you know, there's a couple of stories, not just from one source saying that these guys are going to stay as involved post acquisition by Apple as they were while Beats was an independent company. Um and that it's really gives Apple, you know, could I think seriously give them a very, you know, even a further leg up in ongoing negotiations, not just for music, but with the entertainment industry as a whole, TV and music and movies. Yeah, I think they get a lot out of this. I think, you know, there's there's the relationship angle, there's the licensing angle, and you know, there's there's the, the a, a profitable hardware business, which I don't think you can scoff at. Right. And they're they're not publicly held, so the numbers are, you know, you have kind of to take their word for it, but you know, numerous of the reports peg their revenues at over a billion a year. And presumably at very healthy, almost probably Apple like profit margins, because you know the knock against beats is that the headphones are not technically great. They're not audio file, you know, they're selling them at audio file prices, but they're you know, notoriously controversial in terms of the audio quality, but that there's, you know, they're not spending $300 to make a $350 set of headphones so that it's profitable too, not just revenue. Right. And if they, if they did, they would be idiots. Right. But it's interesting. I, to me, the most interesting angle and how this turns out is how they're going to manage the brand. That yeah. and that to me is the uncharted territory. And there's people arguing with me on Twitter that this is not uncharted territory for Apple. It's you know Tim Cook has been saying for years that Apple is not uh, averse to big acquisitions and blah blah blah. But it's like I just don't see it. it uh, yeah, but 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 he hasn't made them until now, right. so it, it is uncharted territory. Right. It could turn out to be a great idea. It could turn out to be a terrible idea. It could turn out to be something in between. How whether it's a good or bad idea to me, put that aside for the moment. I just don't see how anybody could deny that this is not uh, out of character for Apple as a company. It's totally out of character, right? Passing no judgment on whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. It is well, I think new territory. Yeah, I, and that's why it's interesting. Exactly right. Because I mean, had they acquired like a mapping company, it's like, well, yeah, I know what they're going to do with them. Right. Exactly. Right, they're like, gonna. They're gonna make no idea. The, right, if it was a mapping company, they'd make the brand go away and just use the technology to make the the Apple Maps better. Yeah. Right. No idea what they're gonna do with this. Yeah, that's, that's exactly why it's so exciting, and I, I don't understand why people would want to uh, downplay that because here, here's a company that you know is it, we're all interested in, and maybe the knock against them is that they've been a little boring the last year or two. <laughs> And now they're doing something that seems it's not doesn't seem I was going to say crazy. Crazy is the wrong word, but it's again out of character. Uncharted territory. <laughs> well, we better all freak out. Right. 
I think people care about Apple the way they should care about their kids for the most part. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a fucking company. Like they make, they make good stuff. Some of their stuff is great. Some of their stuff sucks. You know why? I, one reason that people invest too much in them, you know, I'll, you know, I'll look in the mirror and admit myself included is that nobody else seems to be in their league. You know, that nobody else, if you care about having, you know, top-notch computers in your pocket and in your bag. That's absolutely true. If they lost the ball, then who do you go to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's very true. I wish, like, just one example. The closest thing I've seen in the last 10 years to an Apple-quality product is the Palm Pre uh, smartphones which to me looked like Apple products from another universe. In some ways, they looked more like Apple products from an Apple that evolved from the 90s without Steve Jobs, you know, where, where the best of Apple from that 90s era. And Apple did a lot of cool stuff back then, too. They were in trouble, but some of the stuff they did was great. Uh, the Palm Pre was that type of thing. And that, that, that folded, that it didn't get off the ground, to me was a tragedy. Yeah. Because if Palm had, you know, had gotten that to take off and had you know, like 10, 15% of the smartphone market, man, it would be such a better world today. And it would make, yeah. it would, you know, it, it would have, there'd be so much less pressure on Apple to be the one company making stuff that's not, not crap. And they push other companies to do better. I mean, where would Samsung phones be today? Right. Or where would Windows phones be today, right? Windows right. phone is probably the next best thing. It's what I would probably use if, if you know, some kind of court order forbid me from using an iPhone. I'd, I'd almost certainly switch to a Windows phone. Um, but Windows phone would be a, just an evolution of the steaming pile of crap it was in 2007 if it wasn't for the iPhone. Yep. All right, let's wrap it up. I got to go. All right. Do you have a pair of Beats headphones? I have two. Do you really? See, that's interesting. See, I don't. And you, you do I have, like them? I do like them. Honest question um, before I, before we, before we go. Do you think they're built well? Let's leave aside the 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 audio quality part because I'm with you. I my ears are shit anyway. I I really I, as long as it sounds clear and I can understand it, uh, they're good to me. Yeah. But are they so, are they well made headphones? Better. There's they're they're made better than they used to be. So the first pair of Beats I had uh, were a pair of Beats Solos. And there was, I think, what's now a known defect in the band where they, they would just snap. If you, if, you, like, if you weren't extremely careful about how you took them off their head, the, the band would just snap. I had a pair of Bose, the noise-canceling ones. And this must, they must have been like eight, nine years ago. And it's the same problem where they snapped on me. I don't know. And I'm a pretty careful person. It was like a couple months into owning them, they snapped. So they when they snapped, I, I emailed them like, what the fuck, man? I paid like 200 bucks for these. And they sent me a new pair. Nice. And the, these, have, yeah, which was great. Uh, and these have held up. I mean, they're, they're now old enough that, you know, like, the, uh, like the, the little rubber cushion thing under the headband, is, I've lost that. And, but they still sound fine. Um, one thing I really like about them is that the cord comes, you can pop the cord right out and replace it. Because where where most headphones break is the stupid cord. 
and the fact that you can just pop in a new chord. Hmm. That's a that's a good design feature. And as far as sound, like they sound fine to me, but but ears are so individual that in no way do I mean that to be a universal uh, statement about their audio quality. Right. But it sounds yeah. to me from what everything and I've you know read a lot more about them in the last twenty four hours than I than I knew previously you know combined. But it seems like you know they have enormous market share. They've got like fifty nine percent of the. I don't know if it's a total headphone market share, but at least the more than $99 market share, which is a well, lot because it's a new brand and they've entered this, they entered yeah. this area where all of, there are so many established brands like Bose and Sony and, you know. Yeah. The they're all on. undistinguishable. They are all undistinguishable. Um, if, if you see somebody walking down the street and they're wearing headphones, like you can tell whether they're wearing Apple headphones because it's the white earbuds. Like this is something Apple did really well in, mark, in marketing iPods. You, you can't see the iPods because they're in your pocket. Yeah. But you can tell people have had iPods because they had white earbuds. Yeah, and there were always people asking for black ones. Right. And they did, never did it because that was part of the brand. Yeah, it was part of the marketing. Right. So, so you can always tell who's got an iPod. And uh, I think it's the same with Beats headphones. You can tell when people are wearing Beats. They look different than other headphones. Yeah. And, you know, they don't look different in, like, like horrible ways, like, like octagonal shapes and shit like that. Uh, they're just, they're distinctive. So when, when you need new headphones, the first thing you're going to think of is, what have I seen other people wearing? Oh, yeah, those Beats. Yeah. I see those everywhere. Those must be good. So you're certain, you feel certain that they're going to maintain Beats as an independent brand. I don't feel certain, but I, would, I wouldn't be surprised that's if they That's what makes did. sense. That's, that's yeah. what feels like makes sense right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not just Beats. It's Beats by Dre. Right. And if you're going, if you're going after the, the African-American market or the youth market, um, then it would be really stupid to to change Beats by Dre to like, you know, Beats by Tim or Apple iBeats or something like yeah, that. Yeah, iBeats. Right. I don't see that happening. Right. And if they rebranded them, that's the thing. It doesn't make any sense to me. Rebranding them and making them look more, you know, like like just big over the ear versions of an Apple earbud type thing. Uh, there's no point to it. Why no. spend three billion on that? To me, yeah, it's, I think an, that, it's an investment that this is, this is you know, it's like the first company that's come in and done an Apple-like thing to uh, audio since Apple did it. Yeah, I think the headphones are going to stay the headphones. I think the, 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 the people like Jimmy Ivine or Ivine or whatever it is, I think, you know, he's going to be working licensing stuff across the board. And I think, I don't know, maybe that that terrible uh, Spotify or audio thing that they do is probably going to roll, be rolled into some new terribleness for iTunes. Nah, see, I, I think they're not, I think they're going to keep it independent and make it sort of like, uh, cause there was even a story that they were going to make uh, iTunes radio, a separate app and roll, pull it out of the iTunes app and just have a separate iTunes radio app. I think that the, the the way they're going is more apps that do one thing. And so I think it'll be a separate app 
And I think I even think it would be like iBooks, where when you buy a new iPhone, it's not even there yet. You have to go to the App Store, and they'll say, "Hey, do you want to get this? Uh, you know, do you want to get Beats Music along with iBooks and whatever else you download?" Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, John, it's been a pleasure having you on Mule Radio. It's been a pleasure being here. I I, I mean it. I'm. I'm you know, there's nobody else I wanted on the last show on Mule than you because I, I owe appreciate you. that. I owe you, and I appreciate it. Well, thank you. You're a good friend, Mike. And thank you, John. So are you. All right. Um, and I wish you the best of luck going independent. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, if you if you join another network, I'll cut you. <laughs> but <laughs> no more networks. No. <laughs> but, it's... You, but as long as you're independent, I wish you the best. Thank you. <laughs> I'll see you next month in San Francisco, right? Yeah, what are you coming out here for? Uh the WWDC. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll be I'll be here. Yeah. All right. We'll drink with Dr. Dre. Totally. <laughs>